Jacqueline Adam worked hard and lost 350 pounds. She felt both excited and nervous while donning a bathing suit on the beach for the first time in a very long time. And a few cruel onlookers nearly ruined the huge moment by pointing and laughing. But this incredible woman had come too far to let that happen, and her response is so inspiring. You see, Jacqueline used to weigh over 500 pounds, and for years she refused to wear a bathing suit. But after an inspiring weight loss journey, things have changed. The preschool teacher realized her life needed a complete overhaul after a humiliating experience at Disneyland where she got stuck in a turnstile. I was pretty much mortified, she said. Finally, after getting free, she ran to the bathroom and cried. But after the sobs subsided, Jacqueline decided to make a change. She hadn't weighed herself in years, and when she saw the number on the scale, 510 pounds, she couldn't believe it. I thought I was going to pass out, she said. This could not be real life. Now Jacqueline was even more determined. She was going to get control of her weight. She didn't seek out some quick fix. She dedicated years to consulting with nutritionists, eating right, and exercising. And because of all of her hard work, Jacqueline lost 350 pounds. Years after her humiliating trip to Disneyland, Jacqueline headed to Mexico for a vacation. Having lost 350 pounds, she decided she was ready to wear a bathing suit without a cover-up, something she hadn't done for so long. I was nervous to take my cover-up off and to walk into the pool or walk on the beach. I still felt like the same 500-pound girl, Jacqueline explained. But Jacqueline was ready to face her fears. If the folks around her knew how much blood, sweat, and tears had gotten into that moment, perhaps they would have cheered as Jacqueline shed her cover-up. Sadly, though, only one couple took notice, and they cruelly pointed and laughed at Jacqueline. The completely unnecessary body shaming could have ruined that moment. In fact, it could have ruined the whole vacation. That's what Jacqueline says would have happened in the past. I would have allowed their comments to affect my vacation, and I probably would not have gone to the beach or pool again, she says. But she is a changed woman. While the nasty reaction still bothered her, Jacqueline decided not to dwell on the opinion of two complete strangers. Instead of letting their response bring her down, she took a deep breath, then chose to smile and walk into the pool. That was a huge moment for me, she said. I had changed. I was not the same girl anymore. While she'd lost 350 pounds, it wasn't just Jacqueline's body that had changed. Her heart changed, too. Cruel teasing and comments still hurt, but she realized her worth had nothing to do with what other people thought. That's when it hit me. They have no idea about my weight loss, so why am I going to let their opinions affect me? How I feel about myself is what matters, she says. And so that's exactly why I smiled at them and jumped into the pool. Mel Johnson, in telling Jacqueline's story, writes, God has an amazing way of turning our pain into purpose. Since starting her weight loss journey, Jacqueline has been blogging about it in the hopes of inspiring others. And after sharing her body-shaming experience on Instagram, it quickly went viral. I love that line. God has an amazing way of turning our pain into purpose. Oftentimes we question why God allows us to go through times of pain, suffering, trials, and difficulties. 
and we can't accept it or see a reason for it. But Almighty God has a purpose for it. We just have to redirect our thinking and refocus our minds to trusting God through the process. Let's explore this some more as we continue our sermon series titled Marvel. As you know in the series, we've been looking at the seven miracles of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of John. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 9 as we study verses 1 to 12. John chapter 9, verses 1 to 12, it's the story of the miraculous healing of the blind man. And in fact, this healing of the blind man parallels the story I just told about Jacqueline, because after a transformative work in the blind man's life, there were haters and doubters called Pharisees who couldn't accept his transformation and who did it. But let's explore this story together. I read now verses 1 and 2 of John chapter 9. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The Bible tells us that Jesus and his disciples passed by a man who was blind from birth, and the disciples asked Jesus if either he or his parents had sinned that caused him to be born blind. Now this poses an important theological question. Are the challenges, sicknesses, and misfortunes happening to us today a result of our sin, a past sin, or the sin of our fathers and mothers? Let's answer this. First of all, the Bible does not teach that there are such things as generational sins, meaning that the sins of the fathers are passed on to the children. Ezekiel chapter 18 is clear on this matter. However, listen carefully. The effects and consequences of sin may be felt for generations to come, but specific sin, which would require some sort of special deliverance or breaking of bondage, is not passed down. This false teaching, as taught by some, is not taught in the Bible. When we place our trust in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, at the moment of our salvation, His redemptive blood cleanses us, and frees us from all sins. So then, is our present suffering, trial, and sickness a product of some sinful act? The answer is maybe, but we don't know for certain. Now, the Bible does teach that our sins do have consequences, whether in this life or in the life to come, as God judges and rewards according to how we live our lives. And in fact, the sinful world in which we live contributes to all of our suffering and evils in this present world. However, on the other hand, not everything we go through in life is a result of personal sin. The Apostle Paul was given a thorn in the flesh according to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, not because of anything he did, but in order to keep him humble. The patriarch Job endured great sufferings and family tragedy as God allowed even though the Bible describes him as a righteous man. So present trials, sicknesses, and challenges may or may not be due to present personal sin. But what about past personal sin? When we study the Bible about our salvation, we know that when we truly repent of our sins and ask God for forgiveness of our sins, then because of Christ's shed blood, He forgives us of our sins forever. So while the sin may have consequences, some with long-lasting effects, the sin is forgiven 
and it's no longer remembered by God later on to punish us. For example, let's say you committed the sin of premarital intimacy when you were 25 years old and you slept with someone before you were married. And after that sinful act, you felt very guilty and were truly sorry for your sin and asked God to forgive you. God will forgive your sin because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That sin is forgiven by God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the consequences of that sin may be you having a child out of wedlock or you contracting a sexually transmitted disease or any other consequence that God may give you at that moment or later on in life. But even with those consequences, know that that sinful act is forgiven. But let's say at the age of 40, you find out you have cancer. You may wonder if it's because of what you did 15 years ago when you were 25 years old. And you wonder if that's the reason for you having cancer. However, you should not think so. That would not be the case. Because when you were 25 years old, your sin was already forgiven. God doesn't take a forgiven sin and thinks about it 15 years later and says, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm going to make him pay for that sinful act and give him cancer. Now, you may listen to this theological truth and think, so I can sin and immediately ask for forgiveness and have no future ramifications or consequences. That would be abusing grace, which Paul talks about. But remember, God knows your heart and knows if you are sincerely and genuinely asking for forgiveness. My friends, while God's forgiving grace should not be abused and His patience should not be stretched, what a wonderful assurance that once forgiven of a confessed sin, it will not be used against us by God for some sort of future retribution. Now that we've established this important theological framework, let's get back to the story. This blind man would not have been born blind because of the sins of his parents. And certainly, he would not have been born blind because of any sin he did. Because of the simple fact that he was born blind, unable to have sinned, not having yet lived life. So what then was the reason for him being born blind? Look at verse 3. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Jesus' answer unequivocally ruled out that his blindness was caused by his parents' sin and even his own personal sin. But in the case of this man, he was blind because the power of the divine Son of God would be displayed by his healing. Now, that doesn't mean everyone born with or has a physical disability is going to be miraculously healed to show forth God's glory. Jesus' explanation was only for this blind man's case. And in fact, there is no indication that everyone will even know or be given an explanation for why they were born with a disability, why they experience certain mental or physical sicknesses, or why they experience difficult circumstances in life. The main point of Jesus' answer was that while only God knows the real reason, something good will come out of it that will bring glory to God. And this is in line with what Romans chapter 8, verse 28 tells us. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. We see this in the life of righteous Job who never understood why he suffered as he did. 
but had a greater understanding and appreciation for how truly powerful an almighty God is. The Apostle Paul pleaded with the Lord that his suffering, his thorn in the flesh, would be taken away on multiple occasions. But the Lord didn't answer his prayers and simply assured him that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, which caused Paul to keep humble and draw closer to Jesus. So putting it all together, we get our first biblical principle, biblical principle number one. When we undergo trials and sufferings, our focus should not be on the why, but on the person of Jesus and the lessons the suffering brings. When we undergo trials and sufferings, our focus should not be on the why, but on the person of Jesus and the lessons the suffering brings. My friends, I know it's very normal to think about our sufferings and sicknesses and keep on asking why. However, it's often a futile endeavor because we simply don't know why, and God doesn't tell us why. But that was the immediate focus of the disciples in the story. Instead of thinking how to help the blind man, they asked Jesus why the man was blind. But Jesus turned their focus from the why, and in His answer directed them to the powerful Almighty God and the spiritual lessons that would be learned. That's why Jesus said, but that the works of God should be revealed in Him. God was going to work in His life through all of this. He was going to learn a lesson from it, and so would we as the readers. Look with me now at verses 4 and 5. I must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. In these verses, Jesus made it clear that He had come to do the Father's will in His earthly ministry. So the healing of this blind man at this time was part of God's sovereign plan. In a play off of the light and dark motif, Jesus said that as the divine Son of God, He brought light into a dark world. Applicationally, the blind man literally only saw darkness, but Jesus would literally and spiritually show him the light. Verse 6, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. You know, Jesus could have very easily said to the man, blindness be gone, but he didn't do so. He spat on the ground and mixed his saliva with the clay dirt and applied the clay mixture to the blind man's eyes. Perhaps this was to have the blind man understand that Jesus wanted to cure him of his blindness. But we really don't know why Jesus used this approach. We do see in the Gospels that Jesus used different methods to heal people with different illnesses, which were appropriate to their illness. And employing different methods to show forth His powers focused everyone on the person and not the method that cured. You see, some people actually think that miracles can happen if they followed what Jesus did in the Gospels. But the miracles that Jesus did only work because it was Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself, who did them, not because of the method. So if you put your spit in someone's ears or their eyes, or ask them to put clay mud on their eyes to heal their blindness or their deafness, it will not work. The key to the healing is the power of the Almighty Son of God. Look at verse 7. And he said to him, Go, 
wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. We're told in this verse that Jesus instructed this man to go wash the clay mud off of his eyes at the pool of Siloam, which is connected to Hezekiah's tunnel in the city of David in Jerusalem. This he did, and now he's able to see. This man's faith in Jesus was evidenced by his obedience to Jesus' instructions, which resulted in something good, a miraculous healing, and his ability to now see. You can just imagine the joy of this man who had been blind since birth, but is now able to see. And here is our second biblical principle, biblical principle number two. Faith as evidence in obedience to Jesus' instructions in trying times always results in something good. Faith as evidence in obedience to Jesus' instructions in trying times always results in something good. In times of trials, however long they last, there's often nothing we can do but to simply live by faith. And this faith is seen through obedience to God's Word. Doing so will result in something good, even if we may not see it initially or even on this side of heaven. Living by faith and obedience to God's Word doesn't always mean our problems will be removed immediately or that what we want to happen will happen. It's not a deal with God where we say we will have faith and obey, but expect you, God, to take away our problems and our trials. But this reality is hard for us to accept because we're so transactional in our relationship with God. If we do something for the Lord, then we expect something from Him in return. However, my friends, having a transactional type of relationship with God while undergoing trials in life will invariably lead to bitterness when God doesn't accede to what you want, especially since we don't know why we are suffering and why we're going through what we're going through. But if we know that some way and somehow something good will come out of what we're experiencing and we just faithfully obey God's Word in obedience as an evidence of our faith, that it will make us accept our circumstances and have a much more peaceful life. You know, oftentimes, all we can do is to be faithful because there's nothing else we can do. Pastor Eric Thompson shares a story of coming to this understanding and realization. He writes, Personally, I've been fighting one physical malady after another since 1992 when I had surgery on my lower back after the doctors determined I have degenerative disc disease. Do I have answers or an understanding of why this happened? Is there a particular purpose for this? I do not have the answers to these questions. Then one morning in 2006, while I was shaving, I seemed to hear from the Lord, and He seemed to say I was about to go through the greatest physically challenging times I'd ever experienced. However, He also said, I will go through it with you. Even though I did not fully comprehend what was coming or what was all to be involved, I remember thinking, I'm not sure I like the sound of that. However, I know that I can trust Him. A couple of months later, it was discovered that a disc in my neck was pressing into my spinal cord. My face had been going numb. The doctor said one wrong jolt, and it could sever the spinal cord and recommended an immediate surgery. Following the surgery, I experienced many symptoms and nausea 24-7, 
that were so severe they incapacitated me for 10 months. None of the local doctors could determine what was wrong. One thought anxiety. One concluded it was the gallbladder, which after testing was found to be functioning at only 4% and thus was also removed. The symptoms, however, remained. After months of tests and finding no solutions or help, I requested my doctor to send me to the famous Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. At the end of 10 days and every test imaginable, a gastrointestinal specialist from Scotland figured out that the vagus nerve had been damaged during the surgery. The vagus nerve, when damaged, caused severe depression. It could send constant nausea message to the brain, which it did for me. There is no treatment for nerve damage. If the nerve heals, it can take up to a year. For some, it never does heal. The only thing that could help me through this time process of waiting to see if the nerve would heal was to prescribe an anti-nausea pill used for chemo patients. The problem then was that the pharmacist's cost for one pill was $50. And with the prescription for me, my cost would have been $3,000 per month. I was not making that much a month. Praise God for His intervention. Our pharmacist gave us information so we could contact the drug company to request some help with the cost. Not only did they help, they sent me the pills at no cost. All told, I received $8,000 worth of medicine free. This trial was not only difficult for me, but it was also taking a toll on Donna, my caregiver. And so my doctor agreed that it would be beneficial for me to spend three weeks in a nursing home. The insurance company did not think the nursing home stay was necessary and refused to pay. But once again, the Lord provided the thousands of dollars needed to pay the bill. I praise Him for His faithfulness. My supervisor of the denomination visited me in the nursing home and asked, because of this ordeal, how I was doing with regards to my relationship with the Lord. I could only reply, who else is there? He is my only hope. As I stated earlier, a nerve can take up to a year to heal, if it does at all. Praise God, mine did heal in 10 months. I praise God also that the nausea is gone, even though I do have the residual problems of neuropathy in my feet from the damaged nerve. The trials and adversity did not end with that surgery and experience. Since 1992, I've undergone 12 surgeries, some of which were another back surgery, one in the inner ear, prostate cancer, carpal tunnel in both wrists, and just recently, the removal of the wrist bones in one wrist. Today, you are hearing both the good and some of the difficult events on my storyline. So more good news. Since the prostate surgery, I'm cancer-free. Since the inner ear surgery, I'm no longer suffering from vertigo. God has been with me through it all. My friends, we are faithful because God is always faithful. In times of trials, as powerless as we are, all we can do is lean into the power of the Almighty and live faithfully in obedience to Him. Who else is there? The Lord is our only hope. John 16, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This verse lets us know that we will have tribulation. However, even in the midst of it, 
We can have joyful peace because of Christ's victory. May we find comfort in this truth. I read now verses 8 to 10. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? Apparently this previously blind man, having experienced this miraculous healing, was now somehow very different. So different that those who knew him well, like his neighbors, could not believe he was the same man. They could not believe what had happened to him. Perhaps more than his ability to now see, his countenance, his demeanor, his joy and gladness transformed him. In fact, they argued if he was the same blind man who used to sit and beg near them until the man said to them, I am the same man who used to be blind, the same man who used to beg. So naturally, they asked him how this man who was blind since birth is now able to see. Look at his answer in verse 11. He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Verse 12. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. This man's answer was simple, straight to the point, and credited Jesus alone for his sight. The blind man said, His healer was called Jesus, and I obeyed his instructions, and now I can see. Now the man could have put the focus on him being healed because he followed instructions, or he could have put the focus on the waters of the pool of Siloam. But his answer illustrates that he wanted them to know it was Jesus who healed him. And verse 12 tells us, this man's total transformative change elicited in the people a desire for them to seek Jesus out. From this previously blind man's response, we can draw out a third biblical principle. Biblical principle number three. Even in troubled times, an encounter with Jesus should transform our lives so much that the world notices and wants to seek Jesus. Even in troubled times, an encounter with Jesus should transform our lives so much that the world notices and wants to seek Jesus. My friends, even though we go through suffering in our life, we've all been transformed, healed spiritually by Jesus in our lives. That transformation and change should be so great that the world takes notice and also wants to seek Jesus. You see, it's not always about physical healing. What is most important is the spiritual heart healing and change we go through when we undergo challenges and trials in life. As followers of Christ, how we respond to adversities, how we accept what God allows us to go through and experience is what the world is looking at. And if we respond in such a way that is unusual, then the world will want to know why and look for Jesus. Robert Hoagie's mother thought he was such an ugly baby that she refused to look at him. In fact, she refused to take him home with her. That moment shaped his life, but not in the way you might expect. At the time when Robert was born in Australia, prenatal ultrasounds were nowhere near as common as they are nowadays. So his mother had no advanced warning that her fifth baby boy would look radically different as a newborn. My mother had four healthy children before me, Robert explained. 
and to not have some shock when a child is born with some medical issues would be a surprise. Robert was born with a large tumor in the middle of his face, and both of his legs were mangled. In hearing a description of how her son's appearance was from her husband, Robert's mother refused to look at her baby. When it came time for her to go home, she decided to do so without him. I wish he would go away or die or something, she wrote in her diary. It's the kind of admission you'd expect to be devastating to Robert's self-esteem, perhaps even something he'd spent a lifetime trying to overcome. But it had quite the opposite effect. In fact, it became an integral part of Robert's story and identity. God blessed him with incredible wisdom that he's now using to inspire others. Robert's mother started visiting him at the hospital regularly, but still couldn't bring herself to bring him home. She even told his sister, he is so ugly. But gradually, she began working through her own issues in her own mind that were keeping her from loving her baby. Robert's mother used a little blue diary to document her struggles in accepting and managing her son's differences. Though the brutal honesty written on those pages is heartbreaking for most of us to hear, as a child, Robert felt quite differently. He regularly asked his mother to read aloud to him from her diary, and it helped mold him into the courageous, inspiring man he is today. I didn't really feel hurt by my mother being initially reluctant to take me home. It was like a movie that had some sad parts in the middle, but has a happy ending, he explained. I really appreciated how honest and frank my parents were with me. In fact, his mother always felt her initial rejection was an important message for all to understand. Robert underwent some of the most advanced facial reconstruction surgery Australia has ever seen. When a reporter met with the family to do a story, he recommended leaving out the part about Robert's mother not wanting him at first, but she insisted it be part of the article, that it was extremely important for others in similar situation to hear. And she said, no, no, it's good because this is going to happen to other women, and they should know that this is a natural reaction. Certainly, there are those who have an immediate connection with their baby, regardless of any deformity or medical complications. But for some, it's a completely traumatic experience. Robert's mother wanted those people to see hope in her story rather than shame, to understand it takes time, but it's completely possible to move past the shock to acceptance. And rather than being hurt by his mother's reaction, Robert understood it with a type of grace that can only be described as divine. She saw her son lying in a cot with a big tumor, as big as a newborn baby's fist in the middle of the face, he explained. Eyes at the side of his head, deformed legs, and I can't imagine how upsetting that must have been for her at that time. And in her commitment to overcome such powerful emotion, Robert saw love. There should be nothing wrong with a newborn baby. It should be a wonderful moment where you can say, look, my child is perfect, he said. When a child is born, every parent is owed that. And so my mother's reaction, I think, was quite natural. You know, shock, disbelief, anger, rejection, and then working through it slowly. What would have been damaging for many, Robert used as motivation. He found the strength to accept 
his differences and also the realization that he is not defined by them. Robert has lived boldly, never allowing his differences to hold him back. And his story is inspiring for us all because he had to learn to accept himself for who he is, something each of us must do regardless of appearance or physical ability. Everyone's uglier than they think, Robert says. Everyone's more beautiful than they think, too. Married with two children of their own, Robert has worked as a journalist and a well-respected political advisor, but now he encourages others as a disability advocate and uses his story to inspire with the release of his memoir titled Ugly, what he calls a beautiful story about one very ugly kid. My friends, our response to adversities through the transformation of our lives in Christ will make the world take notice and hopefully seek Jesus. If you have time, I encourage you to read the rest of the chapter verse by verse in detail. But let me quickly summarize what happened to the blind man. In verses 13 to 17, the people brought this formerly blind man to the Pharisees to perhaps get their opinion regarding how this man was miraculously healed of blindness since birth, since it was so amazing. And so the formerly blind man told the Pharisees what he had told the people, that it was Jesus who had healed him, not wanting to acknowledge it was Jesus and perhaps wanting to discredit his healing. We find out in verses 18 to 23, the Pharisees got his parents to confirm the man before them was their son and that he was really blind from birth. His parents acknowledged that he was their son and that he was born blind. But as to how he can see now, they do not know. But they should ask their son because he's an adult and can speak for himself, which he does. Look at verses 24 to 25. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. The Pharisees refused to acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah who had healed this man, but they could not refute the miracle. So they wanted the formerly blind man to go along with their assertion that Jesus was a sinner, but he would not play along. He cut through their theological arguments and went to the heart of the issue. I was blind, now I can see. The miraculous healing affirmed for this formerly blind man that Jesus was a divine healer. In verses 26 to 34, the Pharisees asked this formerly blind man aforetime how he was healed, perhaps trying to get him to contradict his story. But this time, he would no longer answer them, knowing they would not believe anyways, and said sarcastically to them, Do you want to be his disciples? The man then went on to use common reasoning with the Pharisees to say that only someone who is divine or from God could do as he did, heal someone with a condition from birth. In verses 35 to 41, the formerly blind man was kicked out by the Pharisees because they were getting nowhere with him. But then Jesus sought him out and asked him if he believed in the Son of God. Remember, the man had never seen Jesus. He was still blind when he was sent to the pool of Siloam by Jesus with clay mud on his eyes. When his eyes were open after the washing, Jesus was gone. He wasn't there. The man asked, who is the Son of God? Because he would believe. 
I read now verses 37 and 38. And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. The Bible tells us this previously blind man believed in Jesus as a son of God and worshipped him. That is the appropriate response when one recognizes what Jesus does for you in your life. My friends, we can worship the Lord even when we go through trying times because of His grace and His love in our lives. Sometimes it is remembering the simple things, like I was spiritually blind, but now I can see. I was destined for hell, but I'm assured of my destination in heaven. I was alone, but now God is always with me. My friends, when we go through times of pain, suffering, trials, and difficulties, let us trust God in the journey He takes us on. And we do so by remembering, number one, when we undergo trials and sufferings, our focus should not be on the why, but on the person of Jesus and the lessons the suffering brings. Number two, faith as evidenced in obedience to Jesus' instructions in trying times always results in something good. Number three, even in troubled times, an encounter with Jesus should transform our lives so much that the world notices and wants to seek Jesus. May we all learn to grow deeper in our faith and serve as a witness of the world when we go through troubled times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is a reminder again to me, and I hope to those who are listening, that when we go through troubled times, when we go through times of struggles and trials, that we do not focus on the why, but we focus on the person of who you are, the Almighty God who journeys with us, who helps us through our problems. Lord, sometimes we are not sure what we need to do. Help us to remember that we are called to live faithfully in obedience to your word. And when we do so, good things will come to us. And I pray that we would serve as a living witness and a testimony to a world looking to how to respond to adversity. When we find peace and show the world there is peace even in troubled times so that the world will seek Jesus as we too have found comfort in him. So Lord, challenge us and bless us. Encourage us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.